So tonight I'm going to be talking about friendship, and um, uh, I want to start by talking about the office because all good things start there. Um, so the thing about that's brilliant about the office is that um, the character that we actually identify with isn't who we think we identify with, right? So um, a friend of mine, Andy Johnson, who's the RUF campus minister at uh, LSU, he, he's, he loves like meeting somebody new and being like, hey, you know what office character you remind me of? And of course, where does your mind go? Jim, Pam. He's like, Meredith. You remind me of Meredith. <laughs> he does that to everybody. Um, uh, and you're like, oh gosh, what does that say about me? Um, but the character that we actually identify with most is Michael. Right? He's the one who we identify with most. Um, you don't believe me in this. Why is it that he embarrasses us so much? Right? As you watch him and you cringe, the reason why we're cringing is because we're like, oh, that could be me. Um, he, he articulates and demonstrates our greatest fears and insecurities. And there's this, there's this great episode where um, they play a videotape from when he was a child uh, actor on the show Fundle Bundle. You guys remember this? And this puppet comes out and asks 10-year-old Michael Scott, what is your dream? And he says, my dream is to get married and have 100 kids so I can have 100 friends and no one can say no to being my friend. <laughs> right? It's funny. It, and it hurts because it's, it, it hits something deep in us that um, either our experience of loneliness or our fear of loneliness um, Right, this is the premise of the show. I love that I can use friends as an illustration with y'all. Like, there was a 15-year window when no one knew what Friends was, but because of Netflix, y'all know what Friends is, right? Yes. So Friends, great show, wonderfully encapsulates this fantasy in the 90s of living with a group of people together who you're so, they're so close together, they're like a family, right? There's a, um, an interview with David Schwimmer, who plays Dr. Ross Geller, and he comments and he says um, that this is a fantasy for a lot of people, having a group of friends who become like family. Uh, right? This is something that many of us long for, and a reality for many of us is that we're really lonely. And so tonight, as I talk about friendship, um, I want you to see it as this is, friendship is God's answer to our loneliness, and I'm going to give you a Christian vision for friendship. And if you're not a Christian, um, my hope is that it's helpful for you, it's useful for you as you consider your friendships. And that in the definition and description of friendship um, that we see tonight, you'll discover um, the beauty and truth of what we find in God's Word. So first, just to ask the question, what is friendship? What is friendship? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, um, he says this about friendship. He says, lovers are often seen face-to-face, delighting in one another. The, character, the characteristic pose of friends is side-by-side or shoulder-to-shoulder. Friendship begins when people discover a common interest or passion. It is found when we discover those who are traveling the same road as, as us and decide to walk together. Friendship is a mutual journey in the same, in the same direction to the same horizon. Um, and there's a, a 12th century British monk named Alred who wrote a book on friendship that's the classic book on friendship, so I'm told. And it distinguishes between three types of friendship. He does. And, um, and he says that each type of friendship is forged around a different goal. So first he identifies carnal friendship, which he says this is based on the, a shared pursuit of pleasure. Right, some in shared enjoyment, something you enjoy. This could be the party scene or it could be playing golf. Just some shared activity together. This is what he calls carnal friendship. Um, worldly friendship. He says this is based on mutual advantage. So if, um, 
like when you're working on a class project with someone together, um, you have mutual advantage to help each other. This is a worldly friendship. Uh, you see this in study groups. You see this in the organizations you're part of. This is what's on sports teams, right? You're working towards a common goal together. You build a real friendship with these people. And he says that the values, the values of these friendships is determined on the goal and the manner in which they're pursued. But he believed that the third type of friendship was the deepest friendship. And the third friendship, he says, is spiritual friendship which is grounded in a mutual commitment to follow Christ. And I've had wonderful friendships through the years. I've had friendships with teammates, um, like many of you have. And um, Eddie, your bass fell over. It's, it's all right. We'll check on it later. Um, friendships with teammates, friendships um, with uh, fraternity brothers, classmates, neighbors. But my deepest friendships have been with other Christians, others who love Jesus and want companionship on the road following him. And so as we walk, or as we talk about friendship tonight, um, I want to give you a picture. And this is an image that I'm going to return to as we talk about friendship. So Brent Harriman, who was a campus minister with RUF at University of Tennessee, um, tells a story of a friend of his who was a dad and was on the airplane with his 10-year-old son, and his 10-year-old son got sick. On the airplane. And so the dad does what a dad does, and he, he caught his son's throw up, um, as a wonderful, gracious father would do. And, you know, did all the things, take care of it, wash his hands, whatever. And as they're getting off the plane, uh, the son says to the dad, Dad, thanks for catching my throw up. <laughs> right? That's such a sweet picture. Um, and I want to suggest to you that uh, that is a picture of friendship. A real friend is somebody who catches your throw up. Um, and so to talk about friendship tonight, we're going to look mainly at the Proverbs. Um, I know that makes some of you uncomfortable, but bear with me. Hopefully it'll be helpful. Um, to talk about friendship, we're going to look mainly at the Proverbs. Um, because Proverbs, in a, in a real way, is a guide to friendship. The Proverbs are filled with wisdom about friendship. Um, and the friendships that I'm talking about tonight are probably friendships that you'll only have. You only have a handful of these in your life. Uh, these are deep friendships that I'm talking about. So most of what I'm, I'm going to say tonight is from a little book by a pastor named Von, Robert, Von Roberts. The book's called uh, True Friendship. And all of what I'm going to say is actually on your outline. You can see um, the, the points and then underneath it the scripture that I'm going to be referencing. So um, let me pray for us and then we'll get going. Father, thank you that you give us friendship as a gift um, into our loneliness. And uh, we pray now that you'd help us to, to hear you. Um, to hear your voice of love um, as you speak to us, to tell us what it is that you desire for us, what you've designed for us. Um, I love you and thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first I want to suggest that, that real friendships are steadfast and not shakable. So Proverbs 19 verse 4, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Proverbs 19.7, All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. And then Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Tell me if you've ever heard this. Um, somebody says, I went through a hard time, and I found out who my true friends were. Went through a hard time, found out who my true friends were. These Proverbs show us that superficial friends will soon fade away, but real friends, in contrast, they stick with us. And we love stories that illustrate this, right? Like we love um, the Lord of the Rings because of Frodo and Sam's friendship. We love, uh, I've heard that in the new It movie, the Losers Club is just this beautiful picture of friendship. Or if you've seen Stranger Things, like the friendship that these kids have. Like we love seeing close friendships. Um, 
And just to ask you, have you ever asked yourself, what kind of friend am I? What kind of friend am I? Proverbs 27.10 says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Um, do not forsake your friend. A few years after Mary Clark and I were married, uh, we were part of a church in Richmond, and um, our pastor preached a sermon on, um, on promises. And something he said to us is he, he told us to think about the promises that we made and how we keep the promises that we made. And one of his examples of this was as a groomsman. Um, the promises that you made as a groomsman in someone's wedding. Um, and this was deeply convicting for me because at this point, I think I've told it up, I've been in six weddings. Um, and these are six men who I've made public promises to um, that I'm going to do everything in my power to uphold the vows that they make in, in their wedding. And at every wedding we go to, every wedding I perform, I'm reminded of these promises, these promises that we make to one another to support a wedding. And um, the reality has been that I don't have deep friendships with all these men. Um, that uh, I, some are stronger than others, um, and I have not been a steadfast friend to all six of these guys. Um, but we all need steadfast friends. So a question for you in your need for steadfast friends. Um, if you were sick, who would catch your throat up? If you were sick, who would catch your throat up? Who comes to mind when I ask that question? Does anyone come to mind when I ask that question? And to be honest with you, making and maintaining friendships is hard work. Aristotle said, the desire for friendship comes quickly, but friendship does not. And there's no shortcut to good friendships. Right? They, they require commitment over the long haul. Um, and this might frustrate some of us, but the rewards of, of friendship over the long haul are well worth it. Talk to anyone who's had lifelong friendships. They bring great joy and great security. And as you're thinking about making these sorts of friendships, um, don't wait for others to relate to you like this. The way to have steadfast friends is to be a steadfast friend. If you need a friend, be a friend. So second, real friendships are candid, not superficial. Um, one of you told me last week that one of the things you see is the difference between Wake Forest and where you're from back home is that at home, um, people just say hi, what's up, and just go on about their business. But at Wake Forest, everyone says, hey, how are you? Which requires you to respond with a lie and say, oh, I'm fine. How are you doing, right? Um, and fine, what does that even mean? Uh, there's, a, there's a pastor in uh, Tennessee who says this. He says, fine is an acronym for freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> So know that whenever you say fine, now you know what you're saying to other people. Right? And isn't that, but isn't that interesting that our most basic greeting, fine, like we say fine, I'm good, right? It's actually a barrier to being known. Right? We, we lack the language to get beneath the surface. But real friendship is candid. It's not superficial. John Cox, who's a, a counselor, talks about four levels of intimacy within relationships, within friendships, within marriage, um, and he talks about these four different levels of emotional closeness. First level, which he says is the top level, he calls drive-through relationships. This is the would you like friends like fries with that? Um, the only reason you're interacting is because you share the same space. This is drive-through relationship. Only reason you're interacting is because you share the same space. The second level of, of friendship or emotional closeness, he calls the new NSW, new sports weather. Right, this is just chatting with people. And most relationships begin here, right? You just get to know the, um, the circumstances of people's lives. Right? And this is why we've got the word fine, so that we can have these sorts of conversations. Third level is what he calls TCB, taking care of business. And this is where we usually live with friends and classmates. 
Um, and this is like our opinions and our thoughts, problem solving, communicating ideas, solving problems, probably where we will spend most of our lives. Useful, if this is where we are, taking care of business. But we're, we're missing something if this is as deep as we go. And connecting this to our spirituality, TCB spirituality is about duty and knowing content and knowledge-based. Right? It's a thinking level um, without a search for real abiding. Um, and God wants more than taking care of business, Christianity. And the fourth level that he talks about is real abiding. And he says this is real heart connection. This is, he says, it's the Jedi level. This is giving up having to be whatever the, the vision for you of um, having it together it is, whether for ladies, if it's Emma Watson, or for guys, I was trying to think of somebody, Dwayne Johnson, I don't know who it is that is this picture of having it together. Um, right? This is your true self at the deepest level. Chris Rock says this, he says, when someone is first meeting you, they aren't meeting you, they're meeting your representative, someone you sent ahead of you to make you look good. Right? Deep, the level four abiding is your true self. This is the real you. No posturing. And this isn't like emotional, gook, touchy-feely stuff, but this is what touches your heart. This is the things that, the things that actually move you, um, that you can share. So how can we be about bringing this to one another? Well, um, why do we ask each other, how's your day? Right? Why do we ask each other, how are you, how's your day? It's because we're... Um, what we're trying to get at with that is how does it feel, what does it feel like to be you today? How did it feel to be you today? What is the emotional, subjective experience of your life? Because that's the key to your heart. And, and this deep level four abiding, this intimacy and friendship is just bringing your heart to the table. And interestingly, level four is where the people in the Bible are. This is where they talk. Right? We see their fear. We see real fear. Um, we see their worship. And real intimacy and real communication is about sharing this with one another. You know, this is what we were made for. Right? This is what we crave, to be known on this, this deep level and to not be rejected but to be loved. Um, so how do you get from superficial to candid? Paul Tripp, who's a counselor, um, he observes that, he's, he writes this, he says, we live in an interwoven network of terminally casual relationships. We live with the delusion that we know one another, but we really don't. We call our easygoing, self-protective, and often theologically unthoughtful conversations. We call them fellowship. But they seldom ever reach the threshold of true fellowship. We know stats about each other, but know dangerously little about the struggle of faith that is waged every day behind well-maintained personal boundaries. Why is candid friendship so hard for us? Well, we all wear masks. Everyone puts up the front that their lives are completely under control. And we're terrified that if someone knew what was going on behind the mask, they'd run away. But the Bible is clear that all of us, all of us by nature, are deeply flawed individuals. And all of us are living in a broken world. So all of us, in different ways, are going to battle with difficult circumstances. And we're going to battle with our own sin. But the greater our understanding of the Bible's teaching about the depth of human sin, the less that we're going to be shocked by the revelations of our friend's struggles. And the greater our understanding of God's grace to sinners, the more willing we are going to be to be honest and candid about our own struggles. So a question for you. Are you willing to have someone catch your throw up? 
Are you even willing to throw up in front of someone? Are you even willing to let someone know that you got sick? Or do you wait until you've cleaned it up to tell somebody else about it? So part of candid friendships is the ability to give and take criticism. This is Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Oscar Wilde said, A true friend stabs you in the front. And and Ralph Waldo Emerson said, It is better to be the thorn in the side of your friend than his echo. And if your friends aren't offering you loving criticism, perhaps it's because they've tried in the past and you've responded by being over-defensive or by deflecting their criticism back to them. If that's the case where you've shut people out and shut them down in their attempts to lovingly rebuke you, you've actually set up a barrier to intimacy in your friendships. I just want to offer a a really basic three-point approach to criticism, to receiving criticism. First, expect it. Right? Given our sin and our weaknesses, we should be surprised at how little criticism we receive. Second, examine it. Is there truth that's being said? Um, is there something in what this person saying to me that's actually true? And finally, endure it. Even if it felt unfair, um, we must not be resentful. So I've got a, um, a group of guys that um, I get together with every spring. It's a, it's a pastor's group. They're um, there are nine of us, and um, we get together every spring for a retreat, and what we do during this time is we, we eat, and we drink, and we tell stories, and we laugh, and um, just have this really rich time when we don't have to be, um, we don't have to be pastors, we get to be friends, um, and while this, the fun and um, the full, I mean, you're so full, we eat so much, um, it's so rich, but part of what makes it so good is that um, we celebrate the good in one another's lives, we mourn the bad in one another's lives, and we criticize, or we mourn the sad in one, another li- one another's lives, and we criticize the bad. Like, we, we have an open channel of communication to actually give criticism and receive criticism because we know uh, the strength of our friendship and the strength of our commitment um, to be friends in this together. So why? What's the purpose of this? Why in the world would you expect, examine, and endure criticism? The purpose is the the goal of Christian friendship. The goal of Christian friendship is to become who I will be in glory. The promised reality of my future self, because of what Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his promise that he will come back and make all things new. There's this promised reality that we too will participate in this resurrection by faith. And what's happening is that through friendship, that is beginning to take shape here and now. Trusting that through the love of my friends, Jesus is making me more and more into his image. So a question for you. This one's a little gross, so bear with me. Are you willing to have a friend pick through your throw-up? Are you willing to have a friend talk to you about what you ate? To question the decisions that you made that led you to getting sick? Knowing that they love you. Do you need a candid friend? Well, if you need a candid friend, be a candid friend. Third, friendships, uh, real friendships are careful, not reckless. Um, friendships must always be careful. 
Um, Proverbs encourages us to listen before we open our mouths. This is Proverbs 18, verse 13. If one gives answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. How many of y'all have heard something like this? Friend A says, hey, this really hard thing happened to me. And then friend B says, wow, have you tried fixing it? When a sort of relative kind of hard, hard thing happened to me um, last week, I did all these things to try to fix it. All right, what just happened? Have you guys ever had an interaction like that? I know I've, both been, I've been on both sides of that conversation. All right, rather than listening, friend B just made it all about themselves and talked over friend A. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are the, in the power of the tongue. When a friend comes to us with something that they need to share, our default is to think that they want us to help them fix it. Or that they want our advice. Or, we're, or that we're so uncomfortable with the reality that something is broken in them that we can't handle it and we immediately make it about us. Y'all, we must be careful with each other in our friendships. We must listen to one another. We have to stop advising each other. So here are three ways to be careful in your friendships. The first is don't gossip. Don't gossip about each other. This is Proverbs twenty nineteen. A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid a man who talks too much. Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight. A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. So what is gossip? Gossip is using someone else's vulnerability as the currency for your relationships. It's using somebody else's vulnerability as the currency for your relationships. What I mean by that is it's taking something that someone else shared a place that they were vulnerable, and using it as a way to make or keep another friendship. That's what gossip is. And if this is you, and it's, it's us, it's all us at one time or another, if this is you, once others discover that you can't keep your mouth shut with their vulnerabilities, they will make sure that they never share anything significant with you, and you will find it much harder to develop real friendships. So the first way to be careful is don't gossip. The second is remove the log in your own eye before going after the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus has great wisdom for us when we confront each other, when we must confront each other. He tells us in Matthew 7 that if we're going to point out the speck in our brother's eye, we must first be fully aware of the log in our own eye. But we shouldn't use the verbal equivalent of a hammer to point out the speck but rather with the sensitivity and love which gives our intervention the greatest chance of having the desired effect. Proverbs 25, 21 says, Like an earring of gold or an ornament of five gold, fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. So if you have concern for a friend, if you have concern for a friend because they're doing harm to themselves, whether it's by over-exercising and under-eating, whether it's by working themselves to the bone in the library, by numbing themselves through drugs or porn or alcohol. If you have concern for a friend, listen to Jesus in this. Go to them with sensitivity and love and perhaps even tears, which gives your intervention the greatest chance of having your desired effect. And to do this, we need the emotional sensitivity to discern the right thing to say at the right time in the right way. So third, I'd say um, to know the boundaries of your friendship. See, some of you um, have an excessive fear of being a burden on others, which can be an obstacle to real friendship. Right? You always assume that you will be in the way if you show up uninvited. This is me. Um, I always assume that I will be in the way if I show up uninvited to something. 
So we need to hear the advice of this Scandinavian proverb, which says, Go off into the house of your friends, for weeds soon choke the unused path. Others of us are in danger of going in the opposite direction and wearing out our welcome and need to listen to Proverbs twenty-five seventeen. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you and he will hate you. Aren't Proverbs great, y'all? So helpful. Um, right? Under both of these is the wisdom to know the boundaries of your friendship. To know the boundaries of your friendship. So a question for you regarding being careful and not being reckless. Um, how are you with your friends when they're throwing up? Right, think about this. In this, this scene on the airplane, you wouldn't give somebody throwing up. You wouldn't give them techniques as they're doing it. Like you wouldn't say, oh man, Moe's really? Like you shouldn't eat Moe's. Or like Asian fusion? Was that a good idea? Right? <laughs> like you wouldn't do this while they're throwing up. And what I mean by this is when someone's vulnerable with you, are you empathetic? Do you listen to them? Do you weep with them over their sin and sadness? Or do you just give advice and try to fix them and tell them how they should have done it? Um, Finally, the fourth thing I want to say about real friendship is that real friendship is physical, not virtual. This is Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So a woman named Sherry Turkle, who's an MIT researcher... And she gave a TED Talk called Connected But Alone. And she says this. Um, she's talking about a conversation with Stephen Colbert. And she says this. I was caught off guard when Stephen Colbert asked me a profound question. He said, don't all those little tweets, don't all those little sips of online communication add up to one big gulp of real conversation? And my answer was no, they don't add up. Connecting in sips may work for gathering discrete bits of information, But they don't really work for learning about each other, for really coming to know and understand each other. We expect more from technology and less from each other. And this is no longer speculation. Um, The verdict is in on our technology and our social media usage. It is impeding our ability for friendship. It inhibits real human connection. And while sure, yes, um, technology and social media can be used for good, but what the researchers are finding is that social media is not actually connecting you to each other. It's just distracting you. And they're now calling anything with a notification or a news feed distraction technologies. And Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat lie to you and tell you that these little sips of human connection will add up to one big gulp of human interaction, but they don't. Instead, they leave you parched, and they teach your brain to starve yourself of real friendship. The research shows that the pattern and habits that you develop through Snapchat and Instagram, and let's be honest, nobody really uses Facebook, and some of us use Twitter, but the pattern and habits we develop with these, and anything that promises human connection virtually, actually makes you lonelier, because you're not actually spending time with other people. You know, this is almost all of us. 87% of people wake up and go to sleep with their smartphones. So why does this matter? Well, Mother Teresa, you all know who Mother Teresa is. She spent her her life working with the destitute in Calcutta. And she said that the worst disease, the worst disease is not leprosy, it's not AIDS, it's not cancer, but it's loneliness. The worst disease is loneliness. And you can't catch somebody else's throw up on your phone, right? Watching a Snap story or an Instagram live stream of them throwing up is not catching their throw up. Friendship is, by definition, physical. 
We are humans. We live in bodies. Friendship requires our bodies. And you know, we need friendship. Like we need new friends. We need real friends. You were created for real, steadfast, candid, careful, physical friendships. You will never have a satisfying date without friendship. You will never have a healthy marriage without friendship. You will never have satisfying sex without friendship. The beginning and end of every meaningful relationship is friendship. You know, this matters for your marriages um, because you marry your best friend. At the foundation of marriage is friendship. I remember uh, when, I don't know, it was a couple years into our marriage, when Mary Clark and I discovered together, um, you are my best friend. We had this discovery together that we are one another's best friends. So some of you might be thinking, I need better friends. I've been a bad friend. I have no idea how to be a friend. How do I get there? So how, how does somebody become a true friend? Um, just a couple of suggestions here. The first is I just want to uh, point out a distinction in the way that we talk about time in our relationships. And we'll talk about the difference between clock time and calendar time. Clock time is just logging time with people throughout the day. I mean, in college, you have so much clock time, right? You see each other like seven times a day, and it just accumulates, and you feel like you know each other, right? Freshmen, you guys have been here for two months, and you feel like you've known these people your whole lives because you've logged so much clock time. Um, Calendar time is the long haul. This is friendship over the course of a year and over the years. You've been together through the ups and downs, through conflicts and reconciliation of conflicts. And friendships require both. Um, well, in college, you'll get lots of clock time and not as much calendar, calendar time. And so for th- what this means is for some of you, you are eight weeks into your freshman year and you're worried because you don't have a best friend yet. And that's okay. Like, that's actually really normal. Friendship takes time. And the second thing about this is that friendship is discovered, not created. Friendship is discovered, not created. So this means for you to discover friendships with one another, um, you need to put away your phones. And you need to ask and answer, each other, answer real questions with each other. C.S. Lewis writes that friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Do you hear the discovery in that? Like that is friendship when we discover someone else is going through the same thing that we are. So to have a friend, you need to be a friend. So ask you this question, are you able to say, I don't need you to be my friend, but I will be your friend? Do you have that sort of confidence? Can you say to somebody, maybe not out loud, but in your head, can you say, I don't need a friend, I don't need you to be my friend, but I will be your friend? Where does that sort of confidence come from? Well, the power for being a good friend comes from being known by the true friend. Jesus says this in John 15. He says, greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus says, because I have laid down my life for you, you are my friends. So if you want the power to be a real friend, think about how Jesus treats us. Jesus is steadfast. He's loyal to his followers, even when his followers are not steadfast to him. Jesus dies for them. Jesus speaks and he says, I will love you at all times. He's steadfast to his, fathers, his followers, whether they puked at their brains out after a party last week or they haven't missed a Sunday at church this semester. 
Jesus is steadfast while we are shaky. While we are fickle, he is a true friend. Jesus is candid. He lets us in. He reveals the deepest part of himself in the Bible. We see him weep in Scripture. We know the story of his birth. We know about the unfaithfulness of his bride, the unfaithfulness of his people. We know his broken heart for the world. He's candid with us about himself. He's also candid with us about ourselves. He brings our, surf, our sin to the surface and is determined to deal with it, not as a way of fighting against us, but fighting for us. And Jesus is careful. He's gentle with those he loves. He doesn't crush people with his theological knowledge. He doesn't berate people with his righteousness, but he knows your weakness. He knows your frame. Rather than punishing you with the suffering you deserve for your sin, he takes that suffering into himself on the cross. He knows your pain because he has personally entered into it. And finally, Jesus' friendship is physical. God didn't look at your life from afar and give you a thumbs up or a like. He entered in. The story of the gospel is the story of God the Son becoming physical so that you might know and receive the friendship of God. Why did God become man in Christ? Because it was necessary. It was the necessary thing to restore you to relationship with God the Father. Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb. He was born into this world. He lived a perfect life for you, died a physical death for you, so that in his real physical bodily resurrection from the dead, you might have life in him. So in your thoughts, your imagination, your soul, and your emotions, when you know that Jesus loves you like that, when you're secure in your identity as the one who is loved by Jesus, you have incredible courage to move towards the messiest of people. Right? You can be steadfast with them even when they fail you. You can sympathize with their pain and cry with them. You can stand up to them and even share your sin with them. Only the true friend frees you to be a true friend to others. So I just want to end by just returning to that airplane and that dad and his son. And that sweet picture of the son's vulnerability and weakness and the father's love opening his hands to catch his son's throw up. I'm just asking you this question. Do you want real friends? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you created us for friendship and you provide friendship for us. Um, and I pray for these folks here tonight, Lord, that you would do that, that you would um, use their time at Wake Forest to develop real friendships um, where they're known and loved and can move towards the world and the love they've received from you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our true friend. We pray this in your name. Amen.